This is the Florida Spectacular Podcast with your hosts, Kathy Silustri and Rick Kilby. Keep up with Kathy at GreatFloridaRoadTrip.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy Silustri. Find Rick on Twitter at OldFLA and visit his website, RickKilby.com. Now, discover a Florida you never knew existed. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Florida Spectacular. Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm great. I'm getting ready for my talk this month at Casa Feliz, which is tonight. I'm talking about an artist and architect who lived in Orlando from 1925 till he died in 1952 named Sam Stoltz, who really wasn't an architect, but he built houses anyways, and they are very eccentric. They're kind of storybook houses is the way they so, so, described them. Like, what, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm going to build some houses. Is that is that what we're talking about here? Kind of. I mean, he worked with a developer named Carl Dan, and he started with kind of Mediterranean revival style houses that was kind of the rage of the day in the 1920s. But then he kind of morphed into this. It was it, it became popular in California that kind of looked like something that you might Hansel and Gretel might have lived in or Snow White or something like that with these real steep gable roofs. And he built a, a bunch of them out in Mount Plymouth, which is in Lake County, uh, not too far from here. And, you know, there's all these stories about Al Capone living in one and sneaking around in a secret tunnel and all that kind of stuff. But the main thing is this guy was a, a very interesting artist. And I think part of it was he just liked to decorate the houses. So he would put these kind of plaster bas-relief sculptures on the outside and on the inside. And I think he was truly an artist at heart and he just liked building houses so that he would have a big canvas to create on that's a very expensive uh canvas <laughs> it is but you know you make money this you know he started during the boom he was able to keep going through the bust and he had a, a variety of different revenue streams you know he painted on purses he would just build uh, big uh, fireplaces for people he loved to work with rocks very interesting style. At one point, he built one in Windermere, and it was owned. I think it may still be owned by Jim Henson's family, and the house still exists. Is it a Muppet-shaped house? <laughs> no, it's not a Muppet-shaped house. It has been altered considerably, is what I'm told. You cannot see it from the road, so I haven't seen it in person. But a number of his houses still exist that I have been into, and they are very eclectic. You can tell in some of them that he truly wasn't an architect because the spaces are very wonky. Um, but some of them are, are beautiful and really are masterpieces in terms of just the, the decoration everywhere. So. I, I love that. Um, and I don't know if you can say this about too many other States, but I love so much that Florida has history coming at it from so many different sides of the globe that we have all these historic homes and, and other structures too that look and feel so different. Um, you know, of course, if you think about the Deep South, some of the states in the Deep South, and you think about historic structures, you're going to think about um, pretty much antebellum mansions um, or you know, something like that. Um, but in Florida, we can have uh, stolts, we can have that, and then we can have, um, I'm giving a talk this afternoon 
about uh, Key West, uh, not Key West. Well, Key West, Ybor City, it's called. So you say you want a revolution. And, uh, you know, in Ybor City, the historic architecture doesn't look anything like what you're describing. It is definitely not the antebellum south. Uh, you know, you've got these these casitas, which are little tiny homes that the cigar factory workers would work in that are historic. And I, I think that's one of my favorite things about Florida is depending on where you go in the state, you can find all these historic homes and they're not going to have anything close to the same story as far as an origin story or why they're there. It's it's really a a melting pot of of history. And I like that. So. It's, yes, you know, some of my some of my favorite historic homes are just crackers, and you know, uh, my friend calls them building zoos. And you have one in Pinellas County in Largo where they've they brought all these different buildings together, and you know, some of them are little. I think they have cracker cottages. Well, there's a number of places throughout Florida that have the cracker cottages. I you know I did work for um, St. Joe Corporation, and they were working on coming up with something, and they didn't want to call it Cracker Chic, but for all intents and purposes, it was Cracker Chic. So they were trying to come up with a palette that they could design modern houses that had some of those original uh, elements of Cracker houses, and you know they the the basic Cracker house is called a single pin, which is basically a rectangle. But at some point, they put two single pins together with a breezeway between them called a dog trot. And I just I love that kind of architecture because it's it's very basic, it's vernacular architecture, and it's adapted to the environment of Florida. You know, they're raised up, you know, so that, that the air can flow underneath them. And the dog trot is is wide open to the elements because you know sometimes you would have to sleep outside when it was really hot. I've never heard the phrase dog trot before. That's that's. Um... I mean, I can see exactly, I can picture it. I know exactly what you mean when you say it. I've just never heard that phrase before. Yeah, there's a UF uh, architecture professor. His name starts with an H. I think it's H-A-A-S-E, who wrote a book about cracker architecture. And it's kind of the the Bible of cracker architecture. Uh, it's maybe a UPF book. And, you know, these, you know, they're all made of wood, so they don't last long in Florida. So whenever we find them it's kind of a miracle another one a good place is in for christmas they have a number of cracker the little they're really little shacks more than anything and then there's one in osceola county um near shingle creek where they've collected a number of them and it just shows you know everybody loves the land remembered these are the kind of houses people would have lived in during the time of the land remembered you know of course there's the other historic i wouldn't call them cracker houses but we have the cabbage palm log cabins and when you when you talk about uh wood in florida some of it does last um in the 1930s our state parks have a few of our state parks have these remaining in the 1930s during the depression when the ccc came through and helped build the park system they built uh cabins for people to stay in and they used cabbage palm logs and those very hardy wood and those have endured um, but cracker architecture, I mean, it, I think it depends on the wood, doesn't it? Like what, whether the wood lasts. Yeah. Cedar and cypress tends to last. Cypress in particular seems to be impervious to insects and tends to last longer. Obviously pine doesn't last as long, although, you know, it's hard pine. You know, one of the things that I love, if you go to, this is not a house, is what used to be the Bellevue Biltmore, which is now... What is it called? The Biltmore Inn? The Biltmore, something like uh, that. Something yeah. like that. It's a hoity-toity boutique hotel. But they have 
part of the wall open, you know, our friend Joey Var, the Rocket Man, does tours there, and you can go in there and see these giant timbers that were pine trees at one point. You know, obviously now you can never find a pine tree that that big, but it's that ancient heart pine. That's you know, I have some of that in my house if I'm trying to hang a hook or something in the wall, and I hit one of those those heart pine studs, it stops my drill because it's yeah, it's almost like done. it's petrified. Yeah. So, yeah, I, um, so I mean, it, it's, it's definitely different when you see the log cabin in the park compared to what Joey Rocketman Vars can show you over at the Biltmore because it's just, uh, different, different purposes and a different, different level of elegance. Let's put it that way. Um, we talk about purposes, like the cracker houses. And incidentally, we do have the link to that book. Uh, that you mentioned, Rick, and we'll put it in the show notes. But the, cool. the cracker houses that you mentioned, you know, they they served a certain type of person. And that person was not uh, the Florida tourist. I mean, those cracker houses were not intended to be visited by tourists. Like, not come down to Florida and stay in a cracker shack. You know, it wasn't the thing. Yeah, it's funny because I've seen photographs that were used uh, to promote the railroad. I, you know, I think it's probably Henry Plant's railroad where they would photograph all these cracker houses, and you know, they loved it if there was, you know, an old cracker standing in front of it to kind of promote how rustic and uh, primitive and uncivilized Florida was because these people were coming from the industrialized North and they wanted to see just kind of how you know, behind everything was in Florida so they could get away from it all and see that the residents were kind of bumpkins and not much has changed. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the contrast is we have the other end of the spectrum from all those rich people who came down to Florida and built these incredibly ornate houses. And that's kind of the some of the ones that you can visit today that are museums you know, like Cotizan or Vizcaya or even Henry Flagler's Whitehall in Palm Beach are spectacular homes, you know, equal to anything you'd see anywhere in the world. So when you talk about these places, let's let's slow down for some of our, our listeners who may not even, and of course we'll have the spelling of all these places in the show notes, but let's, let's break them down a little bit and talk about uh, where they can find them. So. Well, Cotizan obviously is in Sarasota, and that's Henry, uh, not Henry, um, John Ringling. Is it John Ringling? Yeah, John Ringling of Ringling Barnum Brothers Circus fame. Who Barnum, built... Barnum, Bailey, Cracker Jacks, John and Mabel. <laughs> John and um, Mabel, which John is Mabel. spectacular. It just took me a minute, yeah. Um, well, that's attached to the Ringling, right? So, yes, yes, it's right behind the museum, and we are going to do a Sarasota show coming up, so I don't want to spoil it, but it is it is one of the greatest houses, and you know they've done a number of restorations. You could also see it in the movie that they did of Great Expectations, and I think it was probably a little bit more run down when they filmed it, but now it's just in spectacular shape, and it's, it's, a, it's probably one of the best historic home tours, I think, in the state. It is, well, it is, it is opulence, or it was, I mean, I haven't been there in a hot minute, but when it was, of course, built, it was opulence defined. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, remember the first time I was there, I think I was 18 or 19. I'm like, this doesn't even belong in Florida. <laughs> um, you know, it has this fancy name, Cotizan. I don't even know if I say that right. Um, but the Cotizan, all it means is House of John. 
it's just a real fancy way of saying this is John's house, man. He lives here. Um, but it's it's definitely you know we have this beach narrative. Come to come to Florida, go to Disney World and Universal, and then come to the beaches and get drunk and sing Jimmy Buffett cover songs. But I promise you, if you go to Catazan or you, you go to the Ybor City Casitas or um, even uh, Vizcaya, Whitehall, um, Casa Feliz, that is not the vibe that they're throwing out at all. It is just a wholly different part of Florida. And I'm always fascinated by that. I love that. Um, you know, one of the other things that we're talking about historic things South Beach in Miami has a pretty interesting origin story as to how it has those hotels. Have you have you been to South Beach ever? I imagine. Yeah. Uh, uh, the first time I went was right out of college and it hadn't, you know, there were still pretty run down hotels at the time. Actually, I remember staying in one of those Art Deco hotels and it was so hot. The air conditioner was barely functioning and just being miserable. And, you know, we tried to get a different room and we're unsuccessful. And, you, you know, it's it's not the same. Sorry about that. The same kind of thing we have today where they're just, you know, it's where the in crowd goes to hang out. And I have been more recently since that they've they've been restored. And it is spectacular. And it's it is probably one of the premier architectural sites in the state, I would say. I mean, I was fortunate enough up by where I live, we have an organization called Preserve the Bird, and they had somebody come up for a speaker series once to talk about the architecture on Miami Beach. And one of the most fascinating things that I remember from this, and I hope I'm remembering it correctly because it really did fascinate me, was that we have, if you, if you go to Miami Beach and you drive along South Beach and you look at these really opulent beautiful hotels they're all very skinny and he said that the reason they were skinny is they were initially created as kind of single family homes almost like just a shotgun view to the water and so as people sold them uh you know developers not developers but people came in and they would buy the home and turn it into a hotel and they had no choice but to go up and yeah, you know, so go take a look at South Beach and take a look at some of those hotels. They're not on a very big plot of land. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the tours there are. I you know I've never done a tour, but I, I would love to do it so you could see more than you can just as a casual visitor because they are amazing. And I'm so you know it's it's such a great success story that they were preserved. And I know that there's recent efforts to try and serve, preserve some of the mid-century motels as well. Of course, that one famous one where the Beatles played was just knocked down. I think we talked about that on an earlier show, but South Florida has a great collection of architecture from, you know, its heyday when it was real popular during the Florida boom. And I think Vizcaya has to be the most elegant home that I can think of in South Florida that's available to tour. Have you been to Vizcaya? I have not. I am familiar with it. I have not been. I am, you know, whenever I get near water i tend to drift away and forget about anything else and, <laughs> you know it's like it's like a, you remember the men in black movie with the neuralizer yeah <laughs> the flashy thing the water is the water is my flashy thing when when i see water like my past is forgotten i don't know what i'm doing i'm just i've got to go to the water 
it's it's like my crack, my kryptonite. So yeah, you get anywhere along a body of water, salt water in Vizcaya is when I go to South Florida, I love it, but I have to say I do start to feel a little claustrophobic sometimes. You feel what? I'm sorry. Claustrophobic. Oh, because it's just I mean, so developed. Yeah, I mean, and Vizcaya. I mean, honestly, I should spend time as Vizcaya because we do have some spacious areas, but you know, it's the Miami area, and that's mostly like, look, let me just go down to the marina and look at these ridiculously expensive boat slips and pretend I'm going to jump in the water. Um, but it's, I, I feel like I'm not selling Vizcaya. You maybe you should. <laughs> well, it was created by uh, James Deering from. He was one of the owner or developers of um, International Harvester, you know, the tractor people. And it was built, actually it was built kind of before the boom in the teens. And it's kind of Italian looking and they have this this stone barge that's in the middle of the bay. And I know that they are very much at risk for um, sea level rise because they are right on the, the bay there. And it's, you know, I hope they find a way to save it because – you know, it would be a huge loss if, if some of the place were, were underwater because, you know, there's like there's this swimming pool that kind of goes inside this this strange room where the plaster is kind of drippy and there's all these shells. It's very ornate. It's like something you would see in Rome or, or ancient Greece. And it's spectacular and over the top and flamboyant and all that stuff. But as sea level sea level rise becomes a bigger factor, you know, it will it will remain remain to be seen how this place can endures because it's right smack dab on the water. Doesn't some of this speak to about um, the hubris of man to have built the way we built? And I'm not I'm not trying to denigrate any of these historic homes. I mean, Casa Feliz is a little bit of a different animal because it was moved away was from moved. the lake. Um, and now it, it's uh, it seems like it's pretty impervious to most sorts of, of climate change. But, you know, these people who built like the Ringlings, um, you know, Daring, all them building right on the water like that. It's like, and, you know, human history is filled with stories of water reclaiming things for men. And I just wonder, you know, when I look at these beautiful structures, these beautiful historic structures that are on the water i wonder did these men not because mostly i think when we talk about historic buildings in florida we're talking about things right now that men built i don't think there's a whole lot of women so i'm not trying to um ignore women and saying what i'm saying but did these men not think like hey you know i wonder if this is a great idea like you know, those waves look like when there's a storm they get pretty high should we maybe not build here i mean do you ever look at them and think that or am i just being incredibly fatalistic I do think about, well, there's this whole group of people who love to go to the abandoned buildings. Uh, you know, it's kind of Urban a X. thing, Urban X and photograph stuff. So I do often think about what will happen to these places after we are gone because they are documenting that. And, you know, it's not just stuff by the coast. It's, you know, Florida is like a jungle. And basically, when you stop maintaining a place, the jungle starts coming in. And it's fascinating to see these photographs of when they start deteriorating, deteriorating and, you know, becoming more jungly. I remember going to Mexico and looking at the Mayan ruins and they have to reclaim them every single year because the jungle advances so quickly. They have to go back and cut it back 
on an annual basis. And I think Florida is much like that. If we stopped maintaining the, these places, they would soon become ruins. There is a, somebody on Flickr. I think I follow them on my account, so I'll have to find it and put a link in there. And one of the things he does is he photographs abandoned places in Florida. Yeah. And it's so incredibly shocking, or it should be, should not be, but it is, how quickly Florida, I mean, Florida just takes that back. It takes that shit back immediately. Um, it reminds me, there was a book that became a television, I think, series or mini series once called The World Without Us. And yeah, yeah. If, if humans disappeared tomorrow, uh, what would it look like in a day, a week, a month, a year? And you think, oh, you know, probably in a couple of years. But in reality, it wouldn't take very long at all for, I mean, probably within a week, if we disappeared, things would not look as, as you expect them to look. I mean, we are constantly at war with our environment. Um, so I, I can't imagine, I guess, is what I'm saying what these people must have had staff, right? They clearly had staff to take yeah. care of this and yeah. keep the vines away and, and all that sort of thing. But well, honestly, you know, most people living in Florida now who are homeowners have staff in essence, yard people who come and mow their yards and take care of it. I mean, I, I have to admit we do too. Um, when you go, when I go on vacation, Every year I come back, my yard looks different in, in the span of a week because it just stuff, you know, in the summer, especially when stuff goes, you know, crazy in the backyard. It's, and right now I kind of love it when it's winter and things die back because then it's like kind of I can reclaim my turf. But I know by the end of summer, I will have lost that battle again. And, it, you know, it is funny that I would use the term battle because it does seem like that's a war with nature. And maybe the answer is surrendering to nature, which I think is in somewhat, you know, that's what you do with natives and hopefully they live. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I was thinking about that. Um, we have, it's funny, we have staff and that makes us sound very pretentious. Uh, if you have staff for your lawn, <laughs> we do not. Um, we have, we have somebody who comes in and cleans the house and we have somebody who takes care of our pool, but the lawn, which is a lot of natives, largely yeah. left to its own desires. Um, that is, uh, yeah, with some exceptions, because we do have some things that are not natives. Like the avocado tree, I'm pretty sure, is not a native. Um, once a year, my husband has to go through and cut all the grasses because Florida grasses get tall. Um, and he just did that because if you don't do it, um, it it gets ugly. It'll take right over. So um, that's that's pretty much it. I wonder, you know, but these people, these these historic homes, to go back to that before I get too much into the springs and water and grasses, which the whole podcast we've already done. Um, <laughs> these homes had to take a massive amount of just keeping the world at bay. Yeah. Yeah, that's very and, true. And and think about the impact they had when they built them. That you know, those were probably mangrove mangrove swamps that were just bulldozed. And you know, that fight still exists between developers trying to, you know, shape the land and and you know, subjugate nature. And that's what happened on a large scale all across the state. Well, I mean, and in some places, the places where the homes exist with nature, you don't go visit those. You really don't. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's one place we could say to our listeners today, um, hey, we know we've just spent 30 minutes talking about these beautiful edifices where you can 
go see this idea that these very wealthy people um, brought their own aesthetic and their own architecture and sort of tried to conquer nature. We can give them a lot of that. Can we give them anything to go see where man exists in harmony with nature? That's historic. I'm thinking I'm really, I'm not, I don't. Well, so what about the chickies and stuff down in, you know, in the Seminole um, reservations? Are those, do you think in harmony or you think? Well, I mean, those are kitchens and shelters. That's not where they live though. Oh, well, I know that they have places you can stay when you go down there. Under Uh, Yes, you can, you can definitely stay at Billy Swamp Safari on the elevated chickies. But I mean, very honestly, I don't think anybody lived in those. I yeah. mean, it's not well advised. I don't know how else to say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, also, I do think about, you mentioned some of the CCC properties and the state parks and stuff and some of those cabins. You know, they're in more a more natural setting. But historically, that's tough because, you know, the building zoos are called that because all the buildings are taken out of their environment and stuck together at a place where people can get to them. It seems like... You know, we have archaeological evidence of people who lived in places that were more in concert with nature, but those places don't exist for the most part anymore that I can think of. That's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see. I would love to see it. I think maybe if we went to Jonathan Dickinson State Park, where was it Trapper John? Not Trapper John, MD. Um, (laughs) Trapper Nelson's. I'm sorry. It's Trapper Nelson's at Jonathan Dickinson State Park. Um, and it was, it, it's log cabins and things like that, but that's not really being used anymore. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. um, I'm trying to think of, of a place and I, you know, that's, that's one of these things in Florida that's a little elusive. Um, yeah, that's a good, you know, so maybe that's something, maybe one of our listeners can send us an email or something. Cause I, uh, you know, and I think about places like in Cross Creek where, uh, Rawlings lived and even that, you know, I'm sure they, you know, it's kind of in the near, uh, what's it, Lake Lockloosa? Um, yes. And, and you know, that, I'm sure they mow the lawn and everything, even though it's somewhat a natural setting. It used to be orange groves, things like that. That's but, not a natural setting, though. Orange No, yeah, I know. I know. You're I mean, right. But So, yes, I can tell you that they do because I have a friend. And, in fact, he's been on the podcast, Florida Excursionist. He volunteers there. I think one weekend a month, maybe every weekend, and he does tours. And um, you know, once a year they do a big deep thing on the park, um, like on the structures. But one of the things that not a lot of people know about, if you are a camper, there is no camping at the state park unless you want to volunteer to help with the maintenance. Oh, now, really? Yes, I think they have one or two places where you can volunteer to help with the maintenance and you can uh, definitely camp there. Now, I am not, we camp a lot. I am not a huge fan of volunteering as a camp host because 99% of the time, what your job involves at a state park as a camp host is cleaning the showers and the bathrooms. And people are pigs. People are pigs, I assume, when it's not their own home, but sometimes maybe when it is. And I don't want to clean up somebody else's pee off the floor or whatever they've smeared on the shower wall, right? <laughs> but there are no bathrooms or showers at Marjorie Kinnan Rollins State Park. So it's more of a, it's a different type of um, 
volunteerism when you stay there. So that's, that's one way, but even then you're living in your own camper. I assume there's electricity for your camper because certain times of the year, they just wouldn't be able to have people there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely opportunities to, to camp and, and get close to back to nature. That's probably one of the best ones in the state because it's not a structured campground. Um, but other than that, I would love to hear from some of our listeners who could tell us, oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been to this place. And uh, yeah. It almost I, seems it almost seems like if you're if you're building a home in some ways you're kind of defying nature so that you know the natural way would would be to live out in the open which you know is possible sometimes during the year but in this day and age you would it would not be comfortable much of the year and you would be chewed alive by mosquitoes more than likely uh so it is an in- interesting thing so can I respond to one thing you said? I thought of a notable exception. Um, when you said Please? most of these places are built by men, think if you can think of this is probably the most favorite, famous home in Florida at the moment. And it's built by a woman. Mar-a-Lago? Yes. <laughs> oh, that doesn't recommend our gender very well. <laughs> well, the house is spectacular. You know, it's a great, a great example of that type of architecture it's just its current occupant that we don't care for and it, it, you know it's, i wish i had been able to visit it before you know it was in its current incarnation but there are great examples of architecture in palm beach you know another one is we, we talked about it briefly henry flagler's home which was called whitehall which is now i think called the flagler museum is so ornate and so crazy i remember i've only visited one time and I got obsessed with just photographing the wallpaper, you know, like the wallpaper, everything <laughs> matched, you know, like the, the bedspread would match the curtains, which would match the wallpaper. And it's just crazy, you know, all different color schemes in every room. And it's fascinating. You know, if you have more money than you know what to do with, what people do with it often is just fascinating. Well, I, I mean, I have to say, I don't know if I would, um, spend my money to match the bedspread to the wallpaper <laughs> that that to me seems like an aesthetic decision i would not be down for let's put it that <laughs> so have you been to the flagler museum whitehall no no um i have not been no if you want to study henry flagler i think it's a it's a very good place to go they also have his train car on display and it's a wonderful place and it's right down the street from the breakers Unfortunately, you know, the big resorts he built, you know, the original breakers, the first two burned down. And then there was the Royal Poinciana, which was right next door to the White right. Hall and it burned down. But I think he didn't he fall? Didn't he die in a fall? And the yeah, or or was Who? mortally injured. Flagler, that's how he died. He was like nine hundred years old. Yeah, well, he fell down the steps. Right huh? there in Whitehall, I think. We're quickly Googling now. How did Henry Flagler die? Well, but, you know, he's. How did Henry Flagler die? He was old. <laughs> he was old. And he fell down the steps at Whitehall. And you can see yeah, those same steps. Yeah, according to Flagler College, he fell down the stairs at Whitehall. Yeah. Um, he was 83, which was exceptional for 1913. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, there's just not a lot. Not a lot of people who lived to that age. Well, you know what it was. 
it he was didn't the drink, he didn't smoke. He didn't well, it was the, the it was the matching bedspread curtain thing. That's that's the key. That's the fountain oh. of youth. It's to match everything in your house. It changes the brain waves and you live longer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't need to live that long. I'd rather live a short life with a good aesthetic. Let's put it that way. Um, so Mar-a-Lago, I want to go back to that because I am going to okay. put a link in here to um, probably the least contentious link I can put to Mar-a-Lago mm-hmm. would be to um, put a link to the Encyclopedia Britannica entry about Mar-a-Lago um, and the history of it. So um, that's what I'll do. But there's no way people can go see it, right? I do not know. Uh, you know, I know there's a part, it's part of a country club, you know. If you're, so. if, you're part, if you're the FBI, you can apparently go in, but you do need, you know, <laughs> sign permission slip from a judge. So. I would imagine there's part of it that's still open to the public for a fee. You know, I think I think there's money to be made there. And I think the current occupant would probably not want to miss that opportunity. But I know part of some of a private club too. There are, you know, there's great photographs. I, this, I have this book about Florida architecture called Tropical Splendor, and this is great photograph of Ivanka Trump um, in her splendid gown in what is uh, appears to be the dining room. And it's, you know, it's it's wonderful because it's kind of an 18, 1980s version of Victorian splendor, you know, royalty, and uh, it's. It's campy and kitschy. I guess that's the other thing. Some of these places now, by today's standards, and you know, that's going back to the matching wallpaper. That's it, it, campy and kitschy, and but I love camp and kitsch, you know, and that's that's part of the joy of exploring these places because you know they have stuff like taxidermy and things that are really now considered in bad taste, but there's just a weirdness to it that I love. I I. I, I agree on one side. On the other side, so I'll take an example that we have not talked about, the Howie Mansion. Yeah. I don't find that campy or kitschy at all. It's just simply not my style. Um, you know, I would love to see a campy and kitschy to me as a Florida home that has um, pink flamingos and the strap lawn chairs and the tablecloth that has the little graphic design of the sunshine skyway and the dolphin on it. Um, I guess, I guess what you're calling campy and kitschy and I I don't want to upset you. I'm calling gaudy. Well, that's all in the eye of the holder. There was a house, I think that was in Clearwater and it was Kellogg. It wasn't um, John Harvey Kellogg. Yeah. The Kellogg mansion. And it was recently for sale. And I think they, we're going to demolish it. Did you see the photographs of the interior of that? Um, is I'm trying to so keep in mind. <laughs> it was god awful ugly. <laughs> I grew so. up in Clearwater, and I think what we called the Kellogg Mansion was probably not the Kellogg Mansion. He was oh. an interesting dude. What which okay? Kellogg are you talking? This was this was Will the cereal Kellogg. the cereal magnet. Yeah, um, so there's there's two John Harvey Kellogg, who is the you know the um, Road to Wellville guy, and then his brother Will, and that's the serial guy. Okay, well, no, clearly no. The answer there is no, um, but it's okay. We're going to put a link to it. Um, we'll make sure we have the right link. And just so you know, I did check. It does not appear you can visit unless Mar-a-Lago, unless you are a member. Oh. Um, it doesn't look like anywhere they have um, 
and I am on the maralago.com website because Trump Industries, Trump Hotels, whatever the owner, want- the name of the company is, that's their website. There is no historic website separate from that, that like uh. the National Register, anything that I can find. Um, and it just says that, you know, we'd welcome you as a private member. Um, members are the only ones who can stay in their suite. Um, members and their guests can take care, can go to the spa. Um, I, and this is uh, really a very exceptionally Trump branded building right now. Hmm. So it's, it's, you know, everything there is um, tagged with the Donald Trump name or the Trump um, golf name, the Trump winery. Um, so, you know, I think there's probably only a special type of tourist who is going to want to go there right now. Yeah. Right. Well, so, maybe maybe okay. someday. Yeah. Maybe someday it'll be open again. I mean, the, the great thing is that it is preserved. Um, it'd been easy to knock it down and, you know, I'm a big advocate for historic preservation and I, you know, that's, you know, so many of, of Florida's original buildings were made out of wood and they, a lot of them burned down or are rotted or, you know, as Florida seems intent on destroying the memories of the place and constantly reinventing itself. So anytime we can keep these remnants of our past, um, it's a good thing. So let's, I'm going to try and leave it at that. <laughs> no, I think that's a good, I mean, and I, I will, I, I'm, no, it, it's there. It's. Um, we're not always going to agree with everybody who lives in every house that we think is cool. Right. Yeah. No, that's so true. That's true. That's that's, and that's fleeting. I mean, that is the one thing the human impact in Florida is fleeting. Uh, doesn't say we're not going to do some damage, but the earth is going to outlast humans. They, we will get kicked off as a species before anything else happens. Um, the earth will outlast it. And, and these, these places will probably outlast most people and the nature will outlast that. Yeah. Um, it's just going to, yeah. yeah I was, I, as we were talking here, I'm in my home office and it's a beautiful time of the year and we have just opened up everything. We've opened up our doors to the screen porch, which we have the doors to the screen porch open so the cats don't bust out the screen, which means we have a lot of, um, I want to call them lizards, but they're not. Um, anoles. If you don't know what an anole is, it's a lizard the Florida lizard. We have a lot in our house right now. So the whole time we're talking, I have this um, money tree that has just gotten bigger than I think it should have in my office. And I'm looking at one of the branches and I'm like, is that a snake on my tree? So (laughs) half of my attention has been like, let's talk about the architecture of Mar-a-Lago. And the other half is I probably need to go over and make sure if it is a snake, it's not venomous. Uh, <laughs> well, but, you know, it's kind of a perfect visual for what you're talking about, nature reclaiming these exactly homes. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's, it's exactly. exactly what I'm saying. And it's, it is not a snake. I did put down um, the computer for a moment. It's just a very unusually posed anole that is very happy on my money tree and I'm not going to bother him. <laughs> it's fine. They want to live in here. They're safe from birds. I don't have bugs. I, I honestly, I draw the line at possums and uh, anything that will make my cats chase them so heartily that things get broken. <laughs> well, I, you know, we could do a whole podcast about things that get into your houses in Florida because I, you know, 
recently we took uh, measures to make sure the bats stopped getting out in our house because bats when they when they they're not flying they're like cute and cuddly and they look like so tiny but when they fly they look like pterodactyls that are going to sweep down and get you and there's nothing freakier than watching tv and realizing there's a bat swooping over your head um so i understand the guano is excellent fertilizer though (laughs) that's true i took a lot of it out of my fireplace (laughs) did you sell it did you think about that no it wasn't that much honestly but i do think going back to what we were talking about i do think i would love to have a podcast where we talk about florida kitsch because it's something that's near and dear to my heart and i know there will be a lot of it on display at the floridania festival this weekend and it's another reminder if you listen to it before april 15th to come and see kathy and i selling our books the floridania festival and see the florida kitsch which I you like you like kitsch though, right? I love kitsch. I just don't think what you were talking about fits my definition of kitsch. Let's put yeah. it that way. Well, take I a look kitsch. at take a look at the Kellogg Mansion and tell me if that's gaudy kitsch or somewhere in between for you. Kellogg because, Mansion in Dunedin. Yeah, because and I will, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. There's a great one in this site called Abandoned South East that has photos, you know, so they have a hot tub with a mannequin in it that cracks me up. Mannequins are another one of those things that I think are just bizarre and weird. Um, it's definitely um, gaudy, but. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I will. And if you want to know what I think, you'll have to come visit us this week at the Floridania. Show. Yeah. I'll give you my, my full report. Um, so with that, um, I'm going to let the. The lizard be in my house, and that will be my um, my tribute to historic architecture. I'm going to tidy up these show notes, and I will uh, see you all next time on the Florida Spectacular. And for a lucky few of you, uh, Rick and I will see you Saturday, April 15th at the Floridania Show in Gulfport. And mention the, the podcast, and you get a free magnet. And it's a pretty cool magnet. Rick made it. Yeah. All right. Well, I will see you Saturday, Rick, and everybody else. We'll see you next time on the Florida Spectacular.